Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. I got a trivia question for you. All right. 30 years ago this week, a very famous guitar player left their very famous band at the height of their popularity. Do you know who it was? Slash, Guns N' Roses? No, but that's, well, that's half of it. You got the right band. You didn't get the right guitarist. I don't remember. Izzy Stradlin. That's right. Yeah. Were you a fan back then? I loved Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I figured you probably did. Axel was the man. Axel's a mess. Oh, he is a mess. That's true, but he was the man on stage. He, he, he was. was awesome. He was an entertainer for sure. He has one of the most recognizable voices ever. It's one of those things I don't understand. Like I don't know how that qualifies as singing, but it works. I guess. I mean, it it worked back then. Yes, it fit the yes. time. All right, man. Well, you get half credit today, so. I'll take half. That'll Better work. luck next time. All right, we'll holler at you. All right, see ya. Bye. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 39, Magic, Stars, Christmas, and Cream. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, November 9th, 1991. Welcome friends. As always, I am so happy to have you with me for another trip 30 years into the past to reminisce on all the good, and in the case of this episode, sad memories from this week in 1991. Thank you for being here yet again. And if you're new to 30 Pop, then welcome. I'm glad you're here too. We have much to discuss this week, including lots of activity on the Billboard charts, some huge sports news, and finally, some long overdue box office respect for a film that is way better than critics made it out to be. And that actually feels like a great place to start. 30 years ago this week, the number one film at the box office, three weeks after opening in theaters, was the John Hughes written and directed comedy Curly Sue, which I covered on episode 37 of this season just a couple weeks back. It took second place behind the truly awful House Party 2 its opening weekend, then again behind Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs last week. But now, adding $6.3 million to its three-week gross of $18.5 million, it finally claimed the number one spot. The People Under the Stairs moved to number two, Billy Bathgate jumped up a spot to number three, And in fourth place for this, its opening weekend, with a not-too-shabby $4.8 million return, was the holiday comedy All I Want for Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It's very pretty, Howie. Do you want to know the rest of it? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It begins with a little girl. I bet you want to be a ballerina when you grow up, huh? What if I'm fat? What if my head's too big? Wait till I'm in third grade. Then I'll pick a career. A little dream. Can I use the lap? Sure. No, we really gotta talk. You can't ask Santa Claus for that. And a little magic. 
to remind us... Oh, you're back. I'm back. This is Santa Claus, not Dear Abby. ...that Christmas is something to believe in. I had to say, and this is special. Not all mom and dad should get back together, but I should. What is it? What's wrong with her? Uh... She was feeling fine, and all of a sudden... Is mommy coming? Wow, you look gorgeous. All I want Paramount Pictures proudly presents... A movie about a family. Time was my friend. About a wish. Loved and about the miracles. All I want. You know, I usually specialize in stuff you can wrap. All I want is the All I want for Christmas. Share it with your family this holiday season. As a lover of all things Christmas, surprisingly, I had never heard of this. It stars Kevin Nealon of Saturday Night Live fame, The Naked Guns' Leslie Nielsen as Santa Claus, which I love, Tora Birch, who we'd come to know a couple years later for her role in Hocus Pocus, and Ethan Embry, who we'd already seen earlier in the year starring opposite Ed O'Neill in the comedy flop Dutch, and who we'd soon recognize as Mark the quirky music store clerk in the 1995 cult classic Empire Records. Damn the man, save the empire. I'm not sure what the budget was for All I Want for Christmas, but its total box office return was just over $14 million, so I can't imagine that it was hugely profitable, but probably not a total loss either. In eighth place at the box office this week in 1991, bringing in $3.1 million, was the Tommy Davidson... Halle Berry, Samuel L. Jackson comedy, Strictly Business. Here we go. Man, your last name. I don't know about you, Bobby, but folks like me got to go to work in the morning. Hey, you see I'm in the house. Yeah, but you late. Johnson, you wouldn't happen to be just getting here at 9.15. Nah, homie, I was on time. You just didn't see me because I was back there getting busy, you know? What kind of fool do you take me for? I've been in the house, right? Working it hard for two whole years. I'm moving out. Up where? Upstairs, land of suit and ties, power lunches, more girlies than you can stand. My homie says he's gonna hook me up, right? So far, blank. And look at the way you dress. What do you expect me to wear, Armani suit? No, but you don't have to speak and dress so... Black? Well, yes, black. You are straight up whiter than the whitest white man. Then he meets Natalie. Here we go. You know her? Yeah, I know her. You introduce me to Natalie. I'll put you into the training program. Deal. <laughs> Look, you can't go with me looking like that tonight. This happens to be a Brooks Brothers suit. Yeah, well, I suggest you write that stuff on the front, because it looks like any old great suit to me. I'm kicking it a lot. You ever been to Harlem? You've never been to Harlem before. Hey, home dudes. What is going on? Excuse us. It's about moving up, making the cut, suiting up for success, and making an investment in love. This is love. Let me tell you something, man. That ham is cooked, glazed, and ready to be sliced. Tommy Davidson, Joseph C. Phillips, and Halle Berry. Strictly Business. I'm out of here. This was the film debut for Tommy Davidson, who had become a household name over the previous year for his work on the sketch comedy show In Living Color. This was the second film of Barry's career, though, and her second film in 1991 to appear alongside Samuel L. Jackson. 
the first being Spike Lee's Jungle Fever. And she wasn't done yet. Even though we're close to the end of the year, we'll still see one more major film in 1991 from Barry starring opposite another cast member of In Living Color, Damon Wayans. This movie also features then-still-unknown Sam Rockwell in a very minor role, as well as the very soon-to-become-a-household-name R&B group, Jodeci. A fact I mention only because it makes for a perfect segue into our review of the Billboard charts from this week in 1991, almost all of which had new number ones on them. Jodeci claimed the top spot on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart with their breakout single, the title track from their debut album, Forever My Lady. Jodeci's star had been on the rise for several months at this point, but this single really pushed them into the spotlight. This was their second single, but the first to get real traction. Every subsequent single from this album would follow suit, and by mid-1992, Jodeci had become easily one of the biggest R&B acts of the entire decade. I loved this album, and have owned it in one form or another for the entirety of these last three decades. I'd put it in my top 50 albums of all time, maybe even top 25, and this single has everything to do with that. New to the top of the hot rap chart was Public Enemy's song, Can't Trust It. This was the second single from Public Enemy's fourth studio album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black, which was a big success both commercially and critically. Even still, I'd have to say this is my least favorite single from the record. I get it, I understand the statement the group was trying to make, but the lyrics are all but incoherent, and the production is, in my humble opinion, monotonous at best and incredibly obnoxious at worst. Number one on the Hot Country chart for the first and only week was the woeful ballad from Alan Jackson, Someday. And I told her someday She said This was the second single off of Jackson's four-time platinum-selling sophomore album, Don't Rock the Jukebox, and the third of four consecutive number one singles. In my humble opinion, even factoring in my general indifference to country music, it should have been his fourth of eight consecutive number ones, but he got robbed on a couple of releases. The number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart this week in 1991 belonged to the late great artist who would soon be formally and then eventually again known as Prince and the new power generation. The song, Cream. Ooh, cream. Get 
This was the fifth and unbelievably the final number one single of Prince's remarkable career, and it's considered by many to be one of his seminal works. Critics absolutely loved the song in 1991, and they still love it today. In 2020, it was ranked at number 33 on a list of the best Hot 100 number one songs of the 90s put out by Cleveland.com. As for the Billboard 200 chart, once again, Garth Brooks came in at number one for the fifth consecutive week with his album, Rope in the Wind. In television news 30 years ago this week, Star Trek fans, still mourning over the very recent passing of the show's creator, Gene Roddenberry, were pleasantly surprised to see original series cast member Leonard Nimoy reprise his role as Spock for the first of a two-part episode entitled Unification. The episode aired just weeks ahead of the theatrical release of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, for which Nimoy was an executive producer, and the episodes were dedicated to Roddenberry. Also on November 7th, we saw the series premiere of the CBS crime drama Silk Stockings as part of their cleverly titled late-night programming package, Crime Time After Prime Time. Intensity. It's the difference between a desk lamp and a laser. Between white noise and perfect pitch. Late at night, when sounds are clearer, lights are brighter, emotions pull into sharp focus. CBS gets intense. Crime Time After Prime Time. Five different shows, a new one each night. Adult themes so intense we couldn't show them in prime time. CBS Late Night. High-intensity television. It's too hot to sleep. The show lasted for two seasons on CBS before moving to USA Network for an additional six seasons. I'm not sure I ever saw an episode of the show because I was a good Christian boy and it was very sexual. But I definitely remember being aware of it. Like, hyper aware of it. Like, really, really uncomfortably aware of it. The last bit of news from this week in 1991, also on November 7th, was the shocking announcement from Irvin Magic Johnson of his immediate retirement from the L.A. Lakers following the discovery one day earlier during a routine preseason physical that he'd contracted HIV. First of all, let me say good, a- good after late afternoon. Um, because of... Uh, the HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers uh, today. Um, I just want to make clear, first of all, that I do not have the AIDS disease, because I know a lot of you I can want to know that, but the HIV virus. Um, my wife is fine. She's negative, so no problem with her. Um, I plan on going on, living for a long time, bugging you guys like I've always have. So you'll see me around. I plan on being with the Lakers in the league. Hopefully David will have me for a while. Um, And going on with my life. And uh, I guess now I get to enjoy some of the other sides of living that because of the season and uh, the long uh, practices and so on. I just want to say that uh, I'm going to miss playing, and uh, I will now become a a spokesman for the HIV virus because I want people and young people to realize that they can uh, practice safe sex. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're a little naive about it and you think it could never happen to you. Um, And you only thought it could happen to, you know, other people and so on and on. And uh, it has happened, but I'm going to deal with it, and my life will go on. 
and uh, I will be here enjoying the Laker games and uh, all the other NBA games around the country. So life is going to go on for me, and uh, I'm going to be a happy man. Now, I am going to go on, I'm going to beat it, and I'm going to have fun. Okay, so thank you again, and I'll see you soon. Needless to say, this news was devastating to basketball fans and honestly, non-basketball fans as well. It was one of the first and highest profile cases of a celebrity contracting the still relatively unknown and deeply misunderstood virus. For many, they believe this to be a death sentence for the sports legend. Even still, Magic wound up receiving enough votes to be a starter in the 1992 All-Star Game, for which he also ended up winning MVP, and he went on to compete in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona as part of the Dream Team, which I can't wait to cover on this show. He even staged two separate returns to the NBA in the years that followed, and served as the head coach of the Lakers briefly in between. It was a wild time. Today, he's still on staff with the team and a partial owner. And he's obviously still alive and well, so no death sentence after all. The announcement of his retirement, though, is considered by many to be one of the most memorable and significant moments in sports history. It certainly is for me. I remember it well, as Magic was and remains my older brother's all-time favorite player. Anyway, that's everything for now, friends. I hope you'll join me next week. We've got some truly amazing stuff to talk about. You won't want to miss it. Until then... Remember, never use the word lovely, dear. It's the mark of a jerk. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 